DiscerningHearts.com presents In Conversation with Father Joseph Fezio discussing the book He Gave Us So Much, a tribute to Benedict XVI by Robert Cardinal Seurat. Father Fezio is the founder of Ignatius Press, whose doctorate was directed by Professor Joseph Ratzinger at the University of Regensburg. We now begin the conversation with Father Joseph Fezio, hosted by Evan Collins. Hi, Father Fezio. Thanks for coming on. Sure. Thank you. Good to be here. So I just finished um, reading this newest book from Cardinal Seurat. He gave us so much, a tribute to Benedict XVI, uh, a few weeks ago. And I have to say, it contains two of my favorite aspects of books um, in the faith, which is rich spiritual reading, so stuff you can take to prayer and really um, learn from, especially that part three, which is just a collection of writings from Pope Benedict XVI, the spiritual itinerary, homilies and talks that are just so insanely rich and encapsulate some of the best ideas from Pope Benedict XVI's thinking to pray with. But also, my other favorite thing for spiritual reading is learning about the lives of the saints. I don't want to be too early to say it, but I'm sure that you'll be in agreement with me. I'm eagerly praying for Pope Benedict XVI's canonization, and I think that this book is going to want to make people pray for it too. Obviously, you're not the author of this book. The author of this book is Cardinal Seurat, but what is your relationship with this book and your relationship with Pope Benedict XVI? Yes. Well, as far as the book itself is concerned, it's published by Ignatius Press, and I'm the editor here. So I was involved in preparing it, getting the translation done, having the rights acquired, and so on. It's a tribute to Pope Benedict. Of course, Joseph Ratzinger was my doctoral director back in 1972-74, and I also spent time working with him on other projects, especially Casa Balthazar in Rome. I was on the board of directors, and he was our cardinal protector. We met with him every year, plus other things I did with him over the years. So uh, he's a, someone I admire very much. I, I'd call him a friend, except uh, more like a mentor uh, than a friend, although he's very friendly to me. And then Carlos Seurat, of course, I met through Pope uh, Benedict, and we published several of his books. So it was a natural for us to want to do this book. There's a lot written on Pope Benedict, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, theological, you know, pastoral, spiritual, critical on culture and so on, biographical. And so there's a lot known about him. So why do you publish another book, uh, which is basically a kind of a small biography of Mobini? Well, I would say the reason is this. Carl Seurat, Robert Seurat, is from French-speaking Africa, Guinea, on the west of Africa. He was born in a very poor family in the rural area. His parents had been recently convert, converted to the Catholic faith. He saw the Irish Holy Ghost Fathers out there running a school. He saw them praying. He said, I want to be one of those. I want to be like that. You know, I want to be a priest. And so that led to his vocation. It was a very difficult time because Guinea was under communist rule at the time. The Archbishop of Conakry, which is the capital, had been jailed by the communists when Carlos Seurat was, a, by the way, he couldn't go to seminary in Guinea because it was not permitted by the communists. He went to Suriname, nearby African country for that. But he was made bishop and he was on a hit list. The, the, the government wanted to eliminate him. 
So he was called to Rome and it began his Roman career. He's a young African boy from the rural area, learning theology, studying Latin, studying Greek. And Ratzinger became kind of a mentor to him, at least if not personally, uh, through his writings. And so I, I consider Carlos Sarra as kind of a, an African Ratzinger. Joseph Ratzinger was a Bavarian, you know, kind of warm, friendly, calm, kind, good listener. Carlos Sarra has many of those things, but he's also an African. He's, he's, a, he's a fighter. He's going to speak out, speak out boldly and clearly. So what does that have to do with this book? As you probably know, Evan, although Paul Benedict said that after he retired, he would not be a public figure, would not speak or write publicly. He did work with Carlos Sarra before the Synod a couple of years ago that was threatening to basically remove the law of celibacy from the church. He wrote this book with Benedict called From the Depths of Our Heart, which is really a, a moving, moving book with main sections by both Colonel Ratzinger, you know, Pope Benedict and Colonel Seurat. So they were very close. And of course, Colonel Seurat really admired, respected uh, Benedict as a friend, and as a mentor, and as a holy person he, he looked to for his own formation. Okay, so what, what does that make by this book that's different? Here we have a portrait of Benedict. Seurat calls it a portrait of a saint. And I think he's right on that. So he has a couple of chapters where he sets the scene, the fundamental spiritual principles of Pope Benedict, you know, Ratzinger. And then there were many tributes to Pope Benedict after he died, some of which were done by Carl Seurat. So he gathered some of those together, which give you kind of different perspectives on Pope Benedict from different people who were close to him. And then finally, as you said, Evans, he uh, collected some of these previously unpublished homilies, basically, that illuminated different parts, different aspects of the spiritual life of, uh, of Pope Benedict. So it's a short book, maybe a couple hundred pages, but it really has, I would say, the, the heart and soul of Joseph Rasker and Pope Benedict presented by someone who knew him so intimately. I have to say that one of the core issues that Benedict faced throughout his life was um, being mischaracterized for political reasons. So it's it's really interesting to see Cardinal Seurat being really a true spiritual disciple of Benedict XVI and also undergoing um, a lot of adversity from the outside. When you read both Ratzinger, Benedict XVI, and Cardinal Seurat's books, which I would recommend anyone to read, pick up any book by them and read it, whichever one strikes you, you see how meek and tender and mild they actually are. And one of the things I love so much about this book is it really captured what I think is most attractive about Cardinal Ratzinger, Benedict XVI's writings, which is that they're not about him at all. They're not about him at all. He's always just orienting us completely to the Father's heart. And he has such a rich experience of that. I was going to ask, but you kind of already answered it. So I'll kind of say something that I would just desire to say to you, which is that thank you for making those writings accessible to the church in the English speaking world, because I 
cannot even remotely begin to say how impactful they've been on virtually anyone I've talked to who's interested in theology in any way, shape, or form. Even people who strongly theologically disagree with some of Pope Benedict's positions always say that he made a huge impact on them spiritually. And this book is a great primer if you can't see it or if um, you're thinking about Benedict XVI and all you can think of is a genius who's inaccessible, pick up this book. The third section alone is worth the cost of entry um, for the whole book, but everything else just helps shed light on it. Well, you, you might remind me of a couple of things, two things. One, about the view of Ratzinger that the public had versus what he really was like. And he was the Ponser Cardinal, God's Rottweiler, and so on. Well, on April 16th of 2005, when he was elected Pope, I became for about two weeks, a fairly famous person in the media in the United States because I was the only person they knew of who actually knew Ratzinger personally. And so I was giving interviews on NBC and CBS and public radio and all sorts of stuff. Well, I was on the Larry King show and he's there with his suspenders on everything. And this is about a week after Pope Benedict was made Pope. And he said, well, Father Fescio, it seems like the Ratchet well, really changed a lot. You know, he, he seems so warm. He seems so gentle. He's such a, a human person. I said, Larry, he hasn't changed at all. You people in the media finally got to see the real Ratzinger. That's what happened. So that's the first little story about the misrepresentation of what he's like. Secondly, I don't think, Evan, that every pope, by virtue of being pope, should be canonized. Not by a long shot. But I think Benedict uh, and Everybody who really knew him closely thinks the same thing, was truly a holy man and worthy of canonization. But here's what came to my mind. I said many times before that Benedict's birth was very symbolic. And as people who read Ratzinger Benedict know, he had a great appreciation of symbolism, the red color, red of the cardinal, you know, shedding your blood and so on. He was born on April 26, I think it was, 1927. And I get those dates mixed up. But anyway, because April was his birth and April was also when he became Pope. But in any event, I know for sure it was the vigil of Easter Sunday. It was Holy Saturday. And in those days, the liturgy permitted to have the vigil mass on Saturday morning, not wait till Saturday evening as we do now, which is a better way, by the way. So his mother gave birth, I think, around 4, 4.30 in the morning on, on Holy Saturday and brought him to the church, the little parish church, four hours later to the parish mass, and he was baptized. So he was born naturally and supernaturally at the same moment at the heart of the church's liturgy, in the midst of the paschal triduum there. And that always meant a lot to him. He, he believed that he was called to be a homo, a churchful man, and it marked his whole life. And rich as his life is and many-sided, I think the liturgy is the center of his life. In his book, the Spirit of Liturgy is probably the greatest book on the Mass that's ever been produced. In any event, I had this premonition that he would also die on a symbolic date. And of course, he's getting old, he's 95. He died on December 31st. And of course, that's symbolic because it's the end of the year. But it's more symbolic. It's the vigil of the solemnity of the motherhood of Mary, right? So here's his life bookended, as it were, by the vigil of Easter and the vigil of Mary, our mother. And between that, he gave the church so much, which is what, he, what this book is called. He gave us so much. Okay, 
So a couple of days later, January 2nd, is the annual celebration of the Feast of Saints Basil and Gregory. Uh, they were fourth century friends, priests, bishops, doctors of the church, and fathers of the church eventually. And there's a third one too, because you know, Basil the Great had a brother, Gregory of Nyssa. So Basil, Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory of Nyssa, and these are three closely related people, good friends, and they were in the fourth century, which is a terrible century, the Arian century. Over half the bishops denied Christ's divinity. Think about that. And they were stalwart in defending the faith and also presenting it in a way that was spiritually enriching, especially Greg of Nyssa, his beautiful commentaries on prayer, so on. All right, so it occurred to me on the 20th, on 2023, January 2nd, that uh, some years in the future, if God allows the world to continue, which is a question because you wonder how long these patients are going to last. But if God allows the world to continue, I think there will be three saints of the 20th century. Henri de Dubac, you mentioned him, born in 1896, who was the mentor of von Balthasar, born in 1905. Both of them were mentors to Joseph Ratzinger, born in 1927. And the three of them worked together. Uh, they were friends, they collaborated, they corresponded, and they did for the church of the 20th century in her crisis, I think, what Basil, Gregory, and Gregory did for the church of the 4th century. I probably will live to see it, but I believe someday they'll be doctors of the church. We'll return to In Conversation in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John S. of Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. Did you also know that you can listen to Discerning Hearts programming wherever you download your favorite podcasts? like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, even on Audible, as well as numerous other worldwide podcast streaming platforms. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has a YouTube channel? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts Catholic Podcasts, dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these videos, prayers, and more, go to DiscerningHearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks, and God bless. We now return to In Conversation with Father Joseph Fezio. I hope you're right. I can't mention any other theologians who are in the same caliber um, as influence on my own thought and my own relationship with Jesus as um, De Lubac, Balthazar, and Ratzinger. I have to ask because this is not directly related to the book, but more so to your personal experience, um, but it is certainly related to um, Pope Benedict XVI. This book is such a great synthesis of some of the most important ideas in Balthazar and de Lubac's um, theology, and you can see how deeply Ratzinger was impacted by them in his formation. He captures perfectly what it means to become a child of God and what it means to be an image of the Father in participating in life with the Son, which I take those as 
those are like some of the most beautiful concepts taken from Balthazar for me, the, the revelation of the heart of the father through the son. And then through his focus on the liturgy, but also his approach to ecclesiology, the, the theology of the church, Pope Benedict provides a very reasonable way forward in understanding how to navigate in the church um, in a way that takes seriously the reality of the Eucharist, but also the eschatological reality of the church, um, but also just the very practical social dynamics of Catholicism as it actually is existing. And so his emphasis on the liturgy I've always found is him trying to find this harmonizing point. Um, and as you said, Spirit of the Liturgy is a must read. You you must read this book. Um, it will change your life if you have not read this book. And I have to ask, I've heard you give stories of Pope Benedict with um, uh, of Balthazar and de Lubac. And I have to ask, as somebody who deeply loves Hansers von Balthazar's theology, do you have any personal stories of the way their mentorship kind of looked or anything that you got to see or hear about um, of Balthazar's influence on Ratzinger? Well, because I did my doctoral thesis with Ratzinger on Balthasar. So we met from time to time on that thesis. And, you know, clearly he's someone who knew Balthasar's writings well, as well as only as a person. This is uh, another great book, it's Milestones, which is the autobiography of Joseph Ratzinger from 1927 to 1977, the first 50 years of his life. There's a great picture of him on the cover, I can see that, but... Uh, so on page 143, he says, Meeting Balthazar was for me the beginning of a lifelong friendship I can only be thankful for. Never again have I found anyone with such a comprehensive theological and humanistic education as Balthazar and de Lubac. And I cannot even begin to say how much I owe to my encounter with them. So that, that's the words of Rashford himself about the influence of the friendship with Balthazar and Dubac. It's unbelievable to hear someone as intelligent as Ratzinger saying that about two other thinkers. You sit here and go, my goodness, how how brilliant were all three of these men that God brought them together to really provide um, a theological way forward for the church. It's funny, I actually had highlighted that exact quote. I was going to bring that up to you if you hadn't uh, from Milestones. But I have to say this, in the last book that you guys just published on Ratzinger, um, Ratzinger's writings, What is Christianity? There's an essay that he had published previously on the sexual abuse crisis, which is phenomenal. And Cardinal Seurat gives a, a detailed commentary on it in here. And he mentions, I won't even go into the great fruit of that, but if this is something you struggle with in regards to um, understanding how to make sense of this in your faith, read that essay and read this section from Cardinal Seurat. It's very good pastoral advice here. But in that essay, when Pope Benedict is writing about something so deeply personal, right? Um, something that so deeply affects Christ and his heart, he says a quote that he got from Balthazar when he was a young theologian, that Balthazar had written to him on a postcard, which my understanding is Balthazar would write these postcards to people. Beautiful handwriting and it was amazing how much he could get on this little postcard. I mean, not 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 by making it small lettering, but rather it, it, just in a few sentences, he could really express something important. Yeah. Yes, and the, exactly. And that quote that Pope Benedict said completely changed like 
his approach, or at least it made a, such an impact on his heart as he was doing theology, was the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do not presuppose it, but put it before you. I thought, that's that's it's, brilliant. It's, it's simple, <laughs> but it's brilliant. It's profound, yeah. I mean, the advice that Balthazar gave a, a young rat singer who would go on to be the person, if you open up your catechism, who's the stamp of orthodoxy on that catechism. And my understanding, and perhaps younger listeners might not know this, and you can enlighten us, the catechism that was promulgated under Pope St. John Paul II, um, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, was largely the intellectual child and work of Pope Benedict XVI. Is that right? That's correct. And John Paul II wisely chose Ratzinger to be the overall cardinal project manager, so to speak, of the catechism. It was a beautiful choice for the church because, and I'll just make a parenthesis here, and I'll compare the seminars of Karl Rahner with the seminars of Joseph Ratzinger. My good friend, Father Vincent Toomey, Irish priest, he and I were both students of Ratzinger. He had come from a year with Rahner. And in the Hop Seminar, which is the seminary seminars for the graduate students, usually have 10 or 12 students there, all graduate students want to make a presentation, there'd be a discussion, and then a summary summing up by the doctoral director there. But in, in Ronner's seminars, you'd have a presentation, he talked for the rest of the two hours, all right? With Ratzinger, you'd come in, sit there, presentation in Maine, he wouldn't say anything except to try and encourage people to talk because he had many different countries represented there, and not all spoke German, well, including myself, was the worst. He he made sure that we commented, you know. But he'd say nothing. And at the end, he would just look back, and in two or three beautiful German sentences, he would summarize the entire seminar, emphasizing what was important to emphasize, bringing out what everybody contributed to it, and making a synthesis out of it. It was beautiful. And that's what into the catechism. The Catholic Church is not for teaching it's a list of teachings. It's an organic body of teachings. And that catechism shows that by its very structure. Now, the fourfold structure is traditional, you know, sacraments, moral theology, and prayer. But the way Ratzinger oversaw that and brought things together in an organic way was something which he had a, a genius for. And I remember, Evans, after that catechism came out, by the way, long story behind that, but... Ignatius Press translated that catechism because we had to replace a woke translation before its time in 1991 or something like that. But in any event, on my annual retreat, I said, well, I want to meditate on the catechism. I took it, and for eight days, I meditated on the catechism. I didn't get past the table of contents. Just meditating on the structure was something which was inspiring to me. So you're absolutely right. It was a brilliant choice by St. John Paul II to... Select Saint to be Joseph Ratzinger, Carl Ratzinger, to be the key person in charge of the catechism. Well, Cardinal Seurat, he recounted Pope Benedict XVI um, adjuring like the faithful when he was Pope to trust in the church and in the catechism of the Catholic Church as an absolutely sure theological criterion. That's the term that Cardinal Seurat uses. How would you understand that? type of trust, especially now, um, as this book is coming out, in a time where people are not necessarily, they don't feel as sure as they did in John Paul II's uh, pontificate and Pope Benedict's, um, 
I, I thought this was a really beautiful encouragement um, from Cardinal Seurat and a good, good advice to go back to the catechism and to do what you said, meditate on it and let it just transform your world because it is an amazing book. Well, here, Evan, here's something very important. Uh, and Rashi always picks these things up. But uh, it's the introduction, I think, that Rashi made to the catechism or a letter or something like that. But he said, because he didn't want the catechism to be seen as an idol, that, that you go to that for everything as if nothing prior to the catechism was of any value. He said, nothing in the catechism, no teaching has any authority other than what it had in the tradition already it was brought. So this catechism was like a portal into the whole history of the church's tradition. And it sums it up for you, but it's not, it's not meant to be kind of a closed object that you now take and worship. No, it's got all these threads linking back. Every single statement there links back to something in scripture or the fathers or church documents, you know, or councils. So yes, the, the catechism is a wonderful thing, but it's kind of a, a, a portal and a summarizing of the whole previous tradition of the church. That's fantastic advice. I think it's a very good thing in the church right now that people are trying to read the Bible um, throughout a year, read the catechism throughout the year. These are very good practices, but I always encourage people to understand that the tradition cannot be captured just in one book. The level of complexity that is contained in our faith, which thank God that it's complex, because if it was overtly ideological, it would not be true. It would not be Christ. Um, if we could capture the person of Jesus Christ in five sentences, what type of a mystery would that would our faith be? And so it's such a good thing. I wanted to read a quote to you. This is actually from Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. So this is in the spiritual itinerary of the book. So this is on page 198, if you'd want to follow along, but it's at the end of 198. He says, But as the Lord tells us in the gospel. Precisely this desperate attempt to possess the ego entirely after all, to possess at least this and as much of the world as can possibly fit into this ego, leads to it becoming withered and empty. For man who is created in the image of the triune God cannot find himself by closing himself up in himself. He can find himself only in relation, in going out, in self-giving, in the gesture of the dying grain of wheat. And why I wanted to read that is because exactly what you said, he's not saying anything that I have not read in Hansers von Balthasar, that I haven't read in scripture, that I haven't read in the documents of the Second Vatican Council. But he's saying it in such a way that it makes clear why these teachings matter for you and me. <laughs> like these dogmas affect us personally. And I think it's brilliant. <laughs> well, I know two things here. One, the idea of transcendence, that you can't be locked into yourself. And the other, the idea of relation. When you read his Introduction to Christianity, one of his earlier books, you see the importance of, of, of prepositions, of being with, of being for, of being from, of being ordained to something. And... All those things, preposition relations, mean that we're not monads. And if we try and become monads, we shrivel. It's only in going out and receiving from others and giving to others that we become our full selves. Now, 
There's so much contained in that one little quote. It's beautiful. By the way, back on another topic, Evan, about the catechism leading us to the fullness of tradition before the catechism. I now, as an old man, have lived under, I think, seven popes, all right? And popes are important. Jesus wanted us to have a pope. But one cannot base one's spiritual life or even one's faith on who the particular pope is at a particular time. And the Pope is there to really preserve and pass on and make sure it's protected what was handed to the saints you know, at the beginning. So what this program is doing on, the, on radio and on podcasts, what many Catholics are doing in their blogs, is to try and encourage everyone to enter into the fullness of the Catholic's rich tradition, or the Church's rich tradition, so that you'll not be blown around by every wind of doctrine you know you're rooted in the fullness of the faith as it's been passed on through the centuries. Very, very important, especially in our kind of troubled times. And that's exactly one of the reasons why I wanted to start doing these interviews was to make accessible to people so much of the great work that is being done by men and women in the church um, to help us understand our faith and to help us greater appreciate what has been given to us, um, not just in the long-standing tradition when we use the word tradition. It doesn't just mean um, Gregory of Nyssa, um, Basil, St. Thomas Aquinas. It it does mean now Henri de Lubac, Hansers von Balthasar, Joseph Ratzinger. Um, it means these great thinkers. It means Romano Guardini and various people who have influenced them. They're a part of our faith now, and it's important for us to read them, not only because their writings are spiritually enriching and they make us feel good in prayer, but also because they point the way forward for us in regards to how the faith is going to develop. And so I would encourage people to pick up a copy of this book, not thinking it's going to be the end-all be-all, but to say, I want to greater appreciate my faith and I want to understand it better. And this is a great way to start to view Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, as not only a great theologian, but a spiritual master, as Cardinal Saras says, someone who is a sure guide into the tradition, not because he leads us to himself, but because he points beyond himself to the triune God, as Hansers von Balthasar inspired him to do through his little postcard years and years ago. And so I wanted to say, Father Fessio, I have to mention this quote because it, uh, there was a part reading this book, which does not happen to me often, but I actually cried reading this book. There was a section that Cardinal Seurat recounts. He mentions that Benedict, he wasn't a showy guy. He wasn't a type of person who wanted a lot of publicity. He didn't want people to have a cult of personality surrounded towards him. And I think that's pretty obvious throughout his pontificate. He didn't make a show of going to a hospital or visiting the poor, but he did do that. Why? Because he was a holy man. He was a good father. He wanted to take care of people. And Cardinal Seurat recounts a time he visited a hospital and he met a little one-year-old girl her head was severely disfigured. And because of how ugly she was to her parents, they abandoned her. And the nurses took her in and were raising her. And Pope Benedict was visiting with the kids and he was doing all the things that, um, you know, a good father does saying hi to them. But when he saw this girl and he had been told what had happened to her, um, this is how Cardinal Seurat recounts it. He says, the Pope, very moved, went over to her. He caressed the infant's cheeks with infinite respect, and he murmured, you are beautiful, 
you will be blessed forever. <laughs> and this is a man, you cannot do that in the moment if you do not deeply believe that in the depths of your heart. You cannot do that in the moment. You, you cannot create that out of nothing and just, if that's not welling up from a love that is beyond your own, because he was a human being, but he saw the infinite dignity of the person because he knew the living God. He knew the living God, Jesus Christ. There's an excellent essay at the end of this, um, what well, not essay, but perhaps a speech or something like that, or a homily called The Grandeur of Man is his resemblance to God is what it was entitled um, in this book. And it's very moving because he talks about how in this time of the eclipse of God, in this time where we do not see the, the father, we're not seeing creation, right? We're not seeing people, right? And of course he writes from his own personal experience in Nazi Germany. Um, and those are also moving accounts as well. But I think this is very important thing for us to pray about because in our world, it's very easy to not see Christ in the poor. And I don't just mean the financially poor. I mean, this little girl who was very disfigured. I mean, people who are not in esteemed social positions, all sorts of realities of poverty. And Pope Benedict highlights here how important it is to understand that the Anoim which are the poor in spirit, so to speak, are a place where we can uniquely encounter Jesus Christ. It makes me think of what Father Benedict Rochelle used to say. It's like the eighth sacrament. <laughs> um, and um, I know that you recently were, I believe you were given an award, a pro-life award recently, or you were recognized. And so how would you say Pope Benedict XVI has given us a legacy for understanding the dignity of man? in the church and in the world in this time? Well, I mean, it's in his writings and in his life. I mean, he himself respected the dignity of others, including his enemies, including those who criticized him. He met with Hans Kuhn, you know, a theological rival or opponent. He actually, and I think this may be going too far, he appointed, he, he agreed to have uh, let John Paul to appoint some cardinals whom he personally disagreed with on theological. He didn't Use any revenge or retaliation. He, he accepted that, so he was able to see good in everyone, including me. He was not a politician. He was a father, most certainly. I have to say this one more time because it's absolutely true. The work that you have done in making accessible Pope Benedict the Sixteenth's writings for the Church is is truly a great grace for all of us. I can say personally, it's absolutely transformed my life. I'm incredibly blessed by the writings that you've made accessible. And I hope that as people are reading the writings of Pope Benedict XVI, the homilies, the sermons, um, all the great collections that you guys have made present, they will primarily encounter him as he actually was. And I think that this will be part of the reform of the history of him. I don't think people will be able to maintain the political caricature of Benedict XVI when the primary mode of encountering him is in his writings. Because these writings, and I say this with the utmost not exaggeration, they read like a doctor of the church. They really do read like an absolute master 
um, and someone who deeply knew Jesus Christ. And so I am sure that because of the work of Ignatius Press and even this book from Cardinal Seurat, that for generations to come, people will encounter Benedict XVI as a spiritual master, which is a great gift for the tradition of the church. And thank you for that, Father Fessio, truly. You're welcome. It's been a blessing for us, too, here at Ignatius Press. Thank you, Evan. Great talking to you about uh, this wonderful book and this, these wonderful people we're, we're blessed to have among us. Absolutely. You've been listening to In Conversation with Father Joseph Fezio discussing the book he gave us so much, a tribute to Benedict XVI by Robert Cardinal Seurat. Your host has been Evan Collins. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can also watch the video of this conversation on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com.